the volume. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't-miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. What is going on, everybody? John Middlecoff, three and out podcast. Just walked into the office. Uh, absolute ass whooping going on in this Monday night football game. Let's see, make sure I didn't miss anything. 34 to 11, four minutes left. Uh, we will dive into that game off the top, obviously. Uh, subscribe to the podcast, subscribe to the Volumes YouTube channel. I'm going to need a bunch more Middlecoff mailbags. At John Middlecoff is the Instagram handle. At John Middlecoff is the Instagram handle. Slide up into those DMs. Ask your questions. If you've already asked questions, it doesn't go into my new slot, so it's harder for me to see it. So if you have never asked a question, you want to ask a question, you want to get your question answered here on the show, at John Middlecoff is the Instagram. Fire in those DMs. We got got basically uh, the final eight, right? The final four in the AFC, the final four in the NFC. Packers, Niners, Bucks, Rams, Titans, Bengals, Chiefs, Bills. Pretty good final eight. You know, I don't think most people at the beginning of the year would have picked you know, definitely Bills, Chiefs, Packers, Rams, Bucks, the Niners. I mean, I think all those teams were picked. I think the Titans were a playoff team, but I, I don't think we ever thought they would be the one seed. And the Bengals, you know, came out of nowhere, but not really. I mean, Joe Burrow's stud. Um, so we, we will dive into a bunch of football talk, have the golf podcast out Wednesday as well, and we'll keep on roll, rocking and rolling, rocking and rolling, baby football playoffs. We have uh, four, six, seven games left, seven games left until the fall. So enjoy the football, unless you're like an sec or big 10, then you guys got that spring football game, but you know, let's face it. We don't really count that. Uh, so AAF or XFL, any of those spring leagues still even around? I don't count that either. Let's face it. Those suck. Uh, we got seven games left in the NFL. Uh, it's been fun. Pretty, pretty uneventful wildcard weekend. Um, not actually not great. <laughs> let's be, let's be real. Let's start. I'm going to start on a positive note. I was at SoFi stadium last week, obviously, uh, got the, got the cron, got sick. Well worth it. Little LA country club Saturday. SoFi Stadium to watch one of the craziest games I've ever seen. And to watch the 49ers come back and ruin the Rams' day. It was very bizarre because the Niners win, they celebrate, and on Cronky's, like, uh, his video board, which is circular, it's like because the uh, the the Seattle Seahawks had just kicked the, the Cardinals' ass, they won the division that day. So it's like, you're AFC or you're NFC West champions, but it was pretty devastating. It wasn't your typical hats and t-shirt game. And that was that was a rough L. Now, it wasn't the ultimate end result because they still won the division. It, they still got a home playoff game. But you still lost the game. And to come back, and I know the Cardinals are a pretty gutless team in December and January. Like, the evidence is in. We'll get to them here in a second. That's impressive by Sean McVay. I, I, I've said it for a while. I'm a big Sean McVay fan. It didn't bother me when he was celebrating in the end zone. Like, be you. Be true to yourself. If you're not, if you're Belichick and you have no emotion, have no emotion. If you're going to be celebratory, be celebratory. I, I, Sean McVay is a big boy coach. He has now won, uh, you know, obviously he won a playoff game last year on the road. He wins a playoff game again this year, easily cruises to a victory against a team that was once upon a time, I think 10-2 and two or 10-1, and one, kick their ass. That is a absolute beatdown. But to get your team, after going through that type L, to get them not just ready to play, focused to play, but to come out like they came out, 21-0 in halftime, firing in all cylinders, look fantastic. Beckham's look really good 
uh, tonight. Cooper Cup's a star, getting Stafford under control in a playoff environment. There's no way around it. Don't don't let his age fool you. Don't let the uh, faux hawk fool you. Don't let you know the the limited body fat and the muscle mass fool you. Sean McVay is a big time coach, and him studying under Gruden's both Gruden's and the Shanahan family, like that guy came ready to roll when when he got hired for the job. And clearly, you're, you're always better, you know, five years into a job than you were when you first started. He he's really good. He 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 really is. Now he's had several coordinators. This is his third defensive coordinator. Uh, I have a lot of respect tonight for watching Sean McVay after what I witnessed personally have that team ready to come out guns blazing and execute an opponent. It's the playoffs. So listen, I, I the Cardinals, are they a real playoff team? I mean, they won whatever, 11 games. But I mean, let's face it, they're not great. But to kick the living you know what out of them, hat tip to Sean McVay. But that, that's what top flight coaches do. Uh, they, they they play a home game against an opponent who's inferior and they curb stomp them right out of the building. They say, get out of here. You do not belong. And that's what Sean McVay did. And that, that's why he's a he's a superstar head coach. I know he hasn't won a Super Bowl yet, but I say the same thing about Kyle Shanahan. Like, yeah, they don't have Super Bowls, but how many coaches would you take, you know, non like Belichick and Andy over those guys? I got news for you. Not many. And on the flip side, I, I'm not here to dance on the grave of the Arizona Cardinals, but I think they have a question to answer. I, I looked it up when uh, they were getting, when it was 28 nothing. Cliff Kingsbury signed a four-year contract when they hired him three years ago with a fifth-year team option. And, you know, in college, you never want a guy to be coaching on his last season because of recruiting, and it matters. People can negatively recruit you. I don't think it matters as much in the pros, but under no circumstances, if I'm Michael Bidwell, can I extend him? I think you could justify firing him, and you're not going to win with Cliff Kingsbury. So if you want to fire him, the time is now. And Steve Kime, who I actually think is good at his job, like Steve Kime at his job is better than Kingsbury at his job. The problem, though, is you can't allow a general manager to hire a fourth head coach. He's got a bunch of swings. He They, they got Arians. That was awesome. The last couple hires have just... This one was better than the last one that was one and done, but this is not working out. They have a ton of talent. They're underachieving. Their quarterback gets worse as the season goes on. I think we have to question, like, is Kyler pretty overrated? I'd be the first to tell you his physical skills are immense. His his speed, his arm strength, but as a player, he's not that good. Not when it really matters. And as the season goes on, he gets dramatically worse in November, December, and now obviously in January. The throw he made tonight in the end zone was it's a baffling throw. I mean, that's Carson Wentz like wants his playback. That, 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 that cannot happen. He was the number one overall pick in the draft. Like, I couldn't give that guy $100 million. And there are a lot of jokes on the internet. He should go back to playing baseball. No, but is this guy a franchise quarterback? Because right now I'd have red flags. Under no circumstances am I signing him to a long-term contract. Uh, I would probably pick up his fifth-year option, but... It would not surprise me if the owner fires the coach and the general manager in the next couple days. <clears throat> the team has a ton of talent. Uh, now, do they have a long-term quarterback? I think that is up for question. But listen, as someone who plans on buying real estate, hopefully in the sooner than later, in the in the greater Scottsdale, Arizona area, <laughs> general managers and coaches would be lined up to go there. They have players on the roster. The division is big time. Uh you know, they've had success in recent memory. But listen, Cliff Kingsbury is a dead man walking now. If they let him coach on his last season, I, I don't see how you give him an extension. And I'm not going to take a victory lap on this one because I, I don't root. You know, even though these guys like Kingsbury's a millionaire, I, I don't I don't get joy in anyone losing their job. But I, I don't want to say I told you so, but it was pretty clear this was never going to work. Couple things translate in football physicality, toughness. And listen, the game has changed. It's adapted. It's more of a throwing game than it ever has been. But you have to be physical in the playoffs. And you just watch his offense. And I know they fell behind. It's just so fucking soft. You know, Sean McVay was licking his lips to play that team tonight. And and I would say McVay, having watched him from a 49ers perspective, the Niners punk him because they're more physical. And you saw tonight the Rams shove them around. And I would not, the Rams have some physical players, but I would not say they're like the toughest team in the league. And that was a toughness mismatch. 
So the Arizona Cardinals flamed out again. Uh, This year was worse than last year because they were in cruise control for the division. Guys and ladies, the Rams lost week 18. If Arizona just beat Seattle, who kicked their ass the final game of the season, they host this game. Now, do I still think the Rams could go on the road and beat them? Of course I do. But that's a pretty big swing. These home and road playoff games are a big deal. So they just totally shit the bed again down the stretch. Like really, really bad. I did the math. They lost four of their last seven games. Or they, excuse me, they went four and seven in their last 12 games after their start. Like that, that's, that can't happen. <laughs> that, 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 that can't happen. You, you can't go four and seven down the stretch. Not, not after that start with, you know, eight wins or seven wins, whatever they, seven and oh. They just lack a toughness. There's a physicality that isn't there. And, and part of it, it, to me, it's the head coach, the scheme, and a little quarterback. And I, I, as someone who was a big fan of the little quarterback coming out, like, I, I'm out. <laughs> I, I'm out. I'm not saying the guy can't play and he can't win you some games, but that guy's not a Super Bowl winning quarterback. No chance. Z- absolutely zero. <laughs> I, I mean, I would, I, I'm out. So you, you won't hear me defending the guy moving forward. NFL playoffs are here to celebrate FanDuel Sportsbook is giving all customers, all customers, up to a $100 bonus on same-game parlays. You just place a same-game parlay on the Cardinals-Rams game, and you get a $100 bonus, win or lose. The more you bet, the more you'll get. I like the Rams to win in cover. By the way, I had the Niners this weekend, and I had the Bengals. So I went two and two on my bets. Payouts with FanDuel in as little as two hours. Great offers, new and existing customers. So log on to FanDuel Sportsbook. Unlock your same game parlay bonus today. Plus, if you're betting first time with FanDuel, they'll give you 30 to 1 odds on any team in the wild card to win if you use the promo code Colin. You can turn a $5 bet into 150 bucks. Promo code's always Colin, exclusively on the FanDuel Sportsbook app. 21 plus and present in Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Michigan, Jersey, Tennessee, and Virginia, or West Virginia. Refund issued as non-withdrawable site credit that expires in seven days. Max refund, 10 bucks. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbookfanduel.com. Same game parlay available for multiple sports in all states on mobile slash web. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Jersey, and Virginia. Or call 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. Tennessee red line is 1-800-889-9789. Or go to 1-800-GAMBLER.net in West Virginia. Or call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text next step to 53342 in Arizona. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere. Like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I wanted to start with uh, with Sunday now, which is just a fantastic game. And we, we saw it, my youth, the Cowboy Niner game. Uh, this weekend was the first time they had played in the playoffs, obviously, in whatever, 25 years. But a huge part like of me loving football was my youth, Cowboys Niners, Cowboys Packers, Niners Packers. Like that, when I think the 90s, and I talked about this when when John Madden passed away, like that is what I remember. And it was a huge part of me falling in love with the sport of football because I attempted to play in high school. I was terrible, but like a lot of people, most people are not good at playing football, but there's a reason 30, 40 million people watch these big games, especially us, you know, in our thirties, our late forties, fifties, whatever, because we've grown up on rivalries and rivalries is one thing. The NBA has lost with all the movement. The media loves it. All these guys jumping teams. Juju doesn't love it. The fans, 
Because there aren't rivalries anymore. It's hard to have rivalries when you're on a different team every other year. Well, in football forever, you have these embedded rivalries with these embedded players. And football is a very fan-friendly league. Like, everyone hates on social media the franchise tag. You know the franchise tag's good for? You and me, the consumer. Because Aaron Rodgers, Devontae Adams, Russell Wilson, they can't just be like, trade me. The team say, no, (laughs) you're staying. And ultimately, the fan gets the benefit from the player staying around, especially the star players. And there's a reason when you close your eyes and you think of the great quarterbacks, they stay on teams. You know, when you think Troy Aikman, Steve Young, even Brett Favre, who took off at the end of his career, Tom Brady. I mean, if it wasn't for Peyton Manning's neck, he would have played on the Colts his entire career. And I think you're going to see two guys this weekend who, to me, are like, I never, one thing, watching this Montana documentary, watching the Jordan documentary, I would have loved the 80s as a sports fan. All the NFL rivalries with Walsh and Parcells and Belichick and Ditka and some of those Washington teams. I was made for the 80s. Magic, Bird, MJ showing up, Jack winning the Masters in 86. If I could have any decade that I missed out on, because I, I came into my own as a sports fan, 90s and present, right? I Everything 80s and before, I missed. I would choose the 80s. That decade from a sports perspective was badass. And I didn't get to experience Marino and Elway. I mean, I obviously watched those guys play when I was in like junior high, but it was over. Even Elway winning those Super Bowls at the end, the reason he was winning, it was because Terrell Davis and their defense. And I, I, I do think that these two guys... Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes, who combined for 10 touchdowns in the first round. Like, obviously, these guys throw touchdowns. They, one guy made $150 million. The other guy signed a $450 million contract. They are rock stars. And the league is built on the back of rock stars and star players. People always act like the NBA is a star league. The NFL is too. <laughs> you know, their stars are just quarterbacks and coaches, right? The, the NBA, it's centers and shooting guards. But it's really these quarterbacks. And listen, we have some older quarterbacks like Tom Brady. Who knows? It's not inconceivable. This is last year. I don't believe him necessarily, but Aaron Rodgers always threatens to retire. You, you never know. Like it would totally shock me. He's super rich. Maybe he goes out on top. I don't know. You, you never know with that guy. Rivers left. The Mannings are gone. Like we are going through a transformation and that's healthy. It happens all the time. It happened once with the Marino, Elway, Aikman, Young crew, Right. Brady and Manning arrived. (laughs) Same with Drew Brees. And then Roethlisberger and Eli and Rivers, and they carried the torch. And now you have these young guys. Like Patrick Mahomes, well-established. MVP, Super Bowl champ, highest paid player ever in terms of the length of his contract. Absolute badass, stone-cold killer. Really, he's just adding to the resume. He's already proven his greatness. Josh Allen... Kind of proven his greatness, but is still working on it, right? Hasn't won an MVP, not going to win it this year. Has yet to win a Super Bowl, has an opportunity this year, but it's going to be difficult. And they're going to have to go on the road and win this game, which I talked about on yesterday's podcast, that there are two two, uh, stadiums that really have a collegiate feel, and that's rare. Like, the NFL is just different. It, it, It just is. But when you watch a game in Buffalo and when you watch a game in Kansas City and when Bill's Mafia starts chanting together or the Chiefs start doing the chop, it it, it does feel like you're watching an SEC game or a Big Ten game. And you don't get that environment in most of these. Like, you don't get that in Tampa. You don't get that in Dallas. You just don't. You know, just when I watch those cool, you know, uh, environments, but nothing like a high-level college environment. And this game, to me, has it all. It has the box office flavor of these two-star quarterbacks. It has Andy Reid, one of the most accomplished quarterbacks or coaches ever, and one of his former you know, protégés who came up with the Philadelphia Eagles. Sean McDermott got his start as basically Andy Reid's assistant. Worked his way up, became Jim Johnson's guy, then took over for Jim Johnson when he passed away. After a rough my first season with the Eagles, he got fired, goes with Ron Rivera, you know, resurrects his career, helps that team go to Super Bowl, and now has done a masterful job in Buffalo. And this game, to me, is just fantastic. This is the National Football League. And this game being an arrowhead, I saw can't, I saw uh, Travis Kelsey after that win, was like, can't wait, man. This is, this is what all these guys sign up for. Uh, the Bills now 
to me, this we're building a rivalry here. And rivalries are what this league has used to continue to separate themselves over the years. And you need these. And they have to be organic. Like, you can't force-feed them. And they played last year in the AFC Championship game. They're playing again in the second round, which, let's face it, fair or not, does feel like the AFC. And I know Titans fans will get mad. Joe Burrow fans will get mad. This game does feel the winner of this is going to the Super Bowl. Uh, I've been thinking a lot about Dak. And I, I talked about him yesterday that in a salary cap league, when you pay max money for a non-max player, it can it can really hurt you. Like in baseball, when the Yankees or the Dodgers, hell, the Giants, the Red Sox, when they make a financial mistake, when they give a guy $200 million and it turns out he's an $80 million player, ultimately, if they don't truly give a shit, it does not matter. They can buy the guy out later. They don't have to play him. They can pay other players. They have a lot of wiggle room. Now, you see other you know organizations in the sport of baseball that are probably middle tier because the lower tier guys never sign those type contracts. But every once in a while, the middle tier organizations splurge and they buy a $150 million player. That guy better be sweet because the moment that guy does not live up to his all-star billing, you're screwed because they're not in a position to keep buying more players. Where in football, when you are going to invest in a guy at any position, you know, I had a buddy that's a season ticket holder with the Niners. He's like, you know, I've watched Joe Mixon a couple times this year and I don't really see it. And this guy's really smart finance guy, really successful. He's like, you know, $12 million is not adding up to me. He's like, this guy's actually worked in the NFL. And I'm like, I'm telling you, Joe Mixon is really good. I know Joe Mixon has battled some ankle injuries, but when you look at his production this year, he had 42 catches, he had 16 total touchdowns. Like His ROI on his $12 million, you're getting what you need out of the guy. And sometimes as a running back, you just get banged up and you're not as good for a period of time. But to me, Joe Mixon was well worth paying $12 million. But when Dak Prescott and everything happened and once he shatters his ankle and they pay him this offseason, my issue was not... You, you wouldn't want him as your starting quarterback. Had no issue with that. At the price point, though, given the salary cap, you, you got to start working it like a puzzle. And you go, you know, $40 million for Dak Prescott seems kind of crazy. But the main issue is like, from a leadership standpoint, from the way the guys react to him, clearly he checks all the intangible boxes. But there was a reason he was a mid-round pick. Now, if you remember, I think the week of the draft, he got a DUI. So maybe he would have been a third-round pick, and he ended up going a fourth-round pick because he got the DUI. But he was highly thought of coming up. But his skill set was not. Like talking about Mahomes and Josh Allen, when I think about two things, you have to have one of the two things, and he just lacks at quarterback, is one, like, I'm a sucker for strong arm guys. Now, just having a strong arm does not mean you're going to be a good quarterback. You have to have the requisite understand defense, understand your own offense, have football intelligence. I, I If you have that, which clearly is a baseline for all the good quarterbacks, being able to read defenses, understand pressures, understand situations, like, we're talking the highest level here. One, do you have a strong arm? Dak Prescott does not. And two, are you accurate? And I've watched Dak now in some big spots in the Arizona game a couple weeks ago, which I was on this podcast being like, oh, they're going to kick the Cardinals' ass. They lost. He wasn't very good. And that game against the 49ers, he was very inaccurate. So if you're not going to be a strong-arm guy, really his skill set, people are going to get mad at this, is much closer to Alex Smith, who had a lot of success when he was with Andy Reid and even that latter year with Jim Harbaugh, because they used him correctly. Like, they try to use, you would never use Alex Smith playing like Patrick Mahomes. There's a reason the Chiefs looked one way with Alex, and they've looked dramatically different with Patrick Mahomes, because Andy adapted the scheme to Mahomes. Well, with Dak Prescott, Kellen Moore, which is a little weird, I guess they threw it a lot at Boise, they spread it out, and they have really good wide receivers, but in these big games, he is not Mr. Big Arm Accurate Quarterback. So when you try to sling it all over the place, and this is why I struggled to, like, I couldn't get behind paying him $40 million because he's not accurate and he doesn't have that explosive of an arm. And you saw yesterday, they really only took one shot and they hit it on Amari when he smoked the slot receipt or the slot corner, K1 Williams. But they're not really bombs away because he's not a bombs away guy. 
So I do think like it's spilled milk, right? There's water in the bridge. The contract is the contract. He's not going anywhere. You do need to adapt the offense a little bit to his skill set. If you're going to ask him to throw it 45 to 50 times a game against the top teams, we're not talking Joe Judge. We're not talking the football team. We're not talking the Eagles backup. We are talking the Niners, the Bucks, the, the Packers, the good teams for all the marbles. They have to play differently. That is not a formula for success. Now, when you look back at McCarthy's teams, he had Rodgers, who is infinitely better than Dak Prescott. But one of the reasons that Harbaugh got him twice, and then uh, even, I, I guess, McCarthy wasn't the team, but uh, but McCarthy lost a lot of big playoff games, is because they tried to play this spread offense. That's hard to play in the playoffs. Now, it wasn't because Rodgers couldn't sling it around. It was just harder to play in you know the inclement weather. With Dak, it's just they're playing in a dome. It doesn't even matter. He's not built to do that. He, he, he's You have to think of him much more closely to Alex Smith than I think the way that the Cowboys internally believe that he's that he is because he's just not that guy. It's just to me also kind of crazy. He's not that accurate. I watch a guy who's just not naturally that accurate, which if you're not going to have a big arm, that's a little concerning. It, it really is. Like I, Jimmy Garoppolo has a better arm than Dak Prescott. I don't even think that's arguable. If, if you have eyes and you watch the game, you go, yeah, Jimmy's got a more explosive arm. And it turns out Jimmy was playing yesterday with a sprained shoulder in the, after the second quarter. The other team, which it's the reason I wasn't that big on Mac Jones. And like, I understand why Belichick took him at 15th overall. They had no quarterback situation. They were desperate to re-sign Cam just because they didn't have anyone else. Uh, it was just value. He's the last quarterback on the board. I get it. But I do struggle with the ceiling of the franchise with a guy who's pretty average arm. Now, here's what I will say about Mac, like Dak. His football intelligence, his understand, his under ability to read defenses, his toughness, all the intangible stuff checks all the boxes. Mac is an impressive guy. I do think his skill set, like when you just saw him on the field with Josh Allen, he couldn't dream of doing half the things Josh Allen does with his eyes closed, right? Or Mahomes or Lamar Jackson or Herbert or all the physically really talented guys. He's going to have to beat you with his mind and really, again, play closer to Alex Smith. Well, here's the thing with the Patriots is they were able to get away with it for a long period of time because they had Tom Brady and, you know, Gronkowski, Edelman, their core guys on defense, their special teams were always good. They were they were a greatly built team and Belichick deserves a lot of credit. He built a team and he also had the greatest quarterback of all time. But Tom's arm was really elite. I mean, Max just isn't. But unlike what they were able to somewhat circumvent with Tom, really their core guys on offense were the running backs, Gronkowski and, and Edelman. And they kind of had a you know rotating door at wide receiver. But let's face it, like the second iteration of the Patriots that won several championships were not that dynamic at wide receiver. Mac Jones had success at Alabama because he had dynamic weapons outside. He had elite players. I mean, he had multiple... I guess he played at the end of that, you know, to his year because he got hurt. But the year he started, he had Waddle and he had um, he had Devontae Smith. And Devontae Smith ended up winning the Heisman. He also had Najee Harris, who's starting running back for a, uh, you know, for a playoff team. Now, we can argue the Steelers are a normal playoff team. Probably not. But Najee Harris is a stud. But those wide receivers were really a game changer. And Belichick is going to have to find a way. And I know he hasn't had much success drafting wide receivers. But look at the Bills, who just kicked the shit out of them. They were in a position where they needed to help out their young quarterback. And they traded number pick 22 for Stephon Diggs. That is a massive hit. Diggs has been a star for them. It's actually been a win-win. Because the Vikings, the best player on their team, is the wide receiver that they used with that pick. Really, it could have been a win-win. You could have just stayed there. It's hard to know when they made the trade. They had to make the trade. That was a very, very good trade. I do think that Belichick is going to have to entertain doing something like that this offseason. Is there a guy, and I don't know the specific player, but is DK Metcalf available? Could you could you trade your first round pick for DK Metcalf? I'm not even saying he's worthy of it. I'm just I'm just throwing out a name of a team that might be doing some turnover. That would be the type move to do. Remember the Cardinals did it a couple years ago when they traded for DeAndre Hopkins. Now they only had to use a second round pick. I think Belichick is going to have to utilize 
draft capital to get Mac Jones some help because part of their limitation is going to be in 2022, like things change. It was much easier in defense and physicality. I was texting with a guy in the NFL that actually was part of a pretty physical win over the weekend. And he was saying like, they, they just didn't want it. They, 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 we hit them in the teeth early on and we could tell they kind of wiltered physicality and toughness will always work in the NFL. No matter how much the rule changes, no matter how much society changes, physicality, toughness translates in life and definitely in the sport of football and definitely on the road. So I'm not saying that Belichick has to change his whole mindset. He's the greatest coach of all time. But they got away this year with playing defense and running the ball. Well, to win in the playoffs, especially in the AFC, Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes, even with uh, Bozo, uh, Brandon Staley, they got Justin Herbert. They're not going anywhere. Lamar Jackson. There is so much quarterback firepower. You're going to have to score points. And the Patriots, ultimately their downfall always was going to be, it's one thing to score 50 points against the Jacksonville Jacks that don't have a coach and are just in shambles. It's another thing to be in a playoff game and be like, obviously their defense let them down in that game. But let's just say instead of scoring whatever, 47 points, the Bills had scored 35 how are the Patriots going to get to 25? It was going to be very, very difficult. And they just don't have enough firepower. So Belichick's going to have to think, and he's done it before. You know, once upon a time, they make a trade for Randy Moss. Like, he's very good at finding these players over his history. But he's got to do that for Mac Jones. Because Mac Jones is just not going to be, he doesn't have the physical capabilities to just carry your franchise at the highest level in a conference with countless $150 million quarterbacks. Literally one guy signed a $450 million deal. He's one of the best young players we've ever seen. Josh Allen, superstar. Lamar Jackson, going nowhere. Justin Herbert, 90% of the league would jump in front of a train to get their hands on that guy as their quarterback. So I I think Belichick's going to have to be very, very aggressive this offseason to get offensive fire. Defense, he's always able to figure that out. He can find the J.C. Jacksons and coach up the high towers. That's not going to be his issue. But getting offensive guys, and I think he's best at scouting guys in the league. We've seen him. He can be hit because the draft's hit or miss. It's hard. But I think he's going to have to isolate guys that are available. There's a lot of coaching turnover. Anytime there's a ton of coaching turnover, eight new coaches, that means players will be available. And I, I think Belichick can take advantage of that. I, I claimed I wouldn't talk about this guy, but I, I read today that Albert Breer, and it was reported over the weekend that John Schneider and Pete Carroll had met with uh, Paul Allen's daughter, who I think now just basically runs the franchise because Paul Allen passed away. And they're good. Like, they're, they're not going anywhere. Basically, it was reported that status quo, they're going to run it back, and those guys are going to be the GM and the head coach. And they intend on keeping Russell Wilson. Of course they do. He's the best player in the history of the franchise, and he's their starting quarterback. Like, what else would you do? Like, yeah, we're just going to trade. They do not want to trade Russell Wilson, no matter how big of a pain in the ass he is. Because let's face it, he can be a little bit of a diva. That's not really arguable at this point. Well, of course, there was a leak from his camp that was like, well, he's not asking for a trade, but he'd be willing to explore his options. And then one thing I read today in Albert Breer's MMQB, because I just, I knew the drama was coming from Russell Wilson. And one thing he's clearly adamant of being a part of is like, I want a bigger role in the organization. And I I just, I was thinking about it this morning. What the fuck does that mean? Like, I, I do not understand. You've only been with one team. Same thing with Rodgers. Remember, Rodgers like, I want more say. Of what? Like, who our practice squad is? Okay, you want Randall Cobb back. I get it. Like, we'll, we'll trade for you, Randall Cobb. But, like, you want to pick the third-round players? Have you evaluated the entire draft? You want to, who? You want me to sign? Like, what, what does Russell Wilson want? Devontae Adams? Well, like, no shit. Like, every guy in the league. Or do you want some role player? Well, do you want to rank the role players? Do you want to come into our personnel meetings? That's what I wonder. Like this notion, and I think everyone's jealous of Tom Brady. Tom Brady got zero say in New England. Absolutely none. Never had any pull with signing guys. Now, he got pull when he got to Tampa, but think about the pull. He said, yeah, I want to bring Rob Gronkowski. Pretty easy one. Every team in the league, if Tom Brady was going to join their team, they would have signed Rob Gronkowski. That was a pretty easy transaction. His other move was, let's face it, kind of rocky. I mean, Antonio Brown ended with him doing cartwheels off the Jets' field. Now, it did help them win a Super Bowl last year. Antonio Brown was good. But it was those two guys. So whenever I see that this guy wants a bigger hand in the organization, like 
I've in, you know, in my life, I've been a part of these free agent and draft meetings. You have to watch so many players rank them, get a feel for the market. Like you can't just be like, I want, well, who do you want? Do you know how much he's going to cost? Do you know how much cap room we have? Are you sure he's better than X, Y, and Z? Have you studied these other guys? I think it's very like, yeah, I want Rob Gronkowski. Well, no shit. (laughs) Me too. I want, you know, uh, Amari Cooper. Like, yeah, those are easy. Everyone knows. The the separation happens in football on the margins. You know, in the mid-rounds, signing a guy, signing the $3 million player. Everyone knows, you know, the high-end $20, $25 million guy. Like, everyone knew the moment the Arizona Cardinals got Hopkins, they were stealing. Like, that. you got him for a second-round pick? That, that, that was a no-brainer. So, I, I think Russell Wilson kind of lives in this fantasy land because he sees these other guys like, yeah, do you have a Randall Cobb you want back? Well, Schneider and Pete would have coached or signed him because they've been there the whole time with you. So, who is that player? I, I, I think it's such easy headlines. And I understand, like, Russell thinks this, but I think in reality and uh, actual the function behind it and, and putting this into uh, like into motion doesn't really make that much sense. Unless, hey, instead of going on vacation all of March and February, you want to come to the Combine? If you want to come to the Combine, hell, Russell, you can come to the Combine and interview some of the draft picks if you want to. We'd be glad to have you here. We'd love to have you. You don't want to do that. So if you don't want to do that, you just want to like play GM like, me or you playing fantasy football, that's not the way it works. And ultimately, the NFL is not the NBA. We don't really have to kiss your ass. You're under contract for several years. We we want to win too. Like we are trying to accumulate the most good players as humanly possible. But like, okay, you want to get traded. Well, what if we don't want to trade you? So I think a lot of these, these become headlines and you just end up having to talk about it because it's a guy like Rodgers. It's a guy like Russell Wilson. But nothing ever happens. And ultimately, I think a major difference probably in Seattle than what happened in Green Bay. Like, Aaron Rodgers did not like Gudikins. For whatever reason, I still struggled to quite figure that out. But, like, they did not see eye to eye. That doesn't necessarily feel like Pete and John, they're not buddies. It just feels like Russell wants, before you sign someone, you to text him. You know, like, like he's LeBron James. Let's face it, LeBron James is also the guy that wanted Russell Westbrook. Every time I look up, the Lakers are getting their ass kicked because they traded for a guy making $45 million that couldn't hit water if he was sitting on a boat. So this notion that all these players know what they're talking about when it comes to player acquisition is just patently false. I mean, the history of sports shows that if players were able to pick the players, for every Joe Burrow nailing Jamar Chase, there are a lot of misses. So I'm just interested to know exactly what he wants. Because if he wants to pick draft picks, watch the entire draft class and then rank the players. And then, hell, if I was John Schneider, I would, I would take your input for sure. And the last thing, I just saw the New York Giants uh, put out that they had interviewed Adam Peters, the assistant 49er GM. And I've been thinking a lot about this. Like five, six years ago when I left radio, I went into business for myself. And I had to do so much stuff with partners that I had never done before. I, I had never, I had worked in football and then I had worked in radio. But when I worked in radio, I had nothing to do with the sale, selling of anything. I had nothing to do with the production of anything. I just talked. That's it. I had evaluated football players and I had talked about football. Those were the only things I had done for a living up until I was 30 years old. <clears throat> well, when you go into business, you have no choice. Like if you want to eat, you got to go make some money. So you just like, how are you going to get any money? Well, you got to sell something. So you just figure it out as you go. You either sink or swim or else you just got to go back and go sell printers or, you know, go sell cars or something. I, ha- I had to figure it out. And at first it was very, very difficult. And then over time, you, you do your first deal. Maybe it's three or $4,000. It's a huge high. And then you realize, well, this isn't going to sustain. You have to do more and more. And the numbers just keep growing and you get more and more confident right? You go to a five-figure deal, then things start going well. You sign a six-figure deal and you're like, oh, you get these advertisers and you're just, you, you keep leveraging things, but you get more confident as you do stuff. You are better off five, six, eight, ten 10 years later than when you started. That's human nature. We improve through experiences. When you don't know how to do anything, I'm a big believer and just go try it. Just go do it. Find out if you can. It turns out I can sell. And I, I didn't know I could. I actually kind of resented it my whole life. But when I was thrown into a part of it, I didn't have a choice. I, I had to figure it out or else I was not going to eat or I had to go get a real job and I refused to get a real job. 
So I, I figured it out. And as time's gone, I've gotten very, very confident. <laughs> I know that I can find money. I, I'm good at it. But I didn't know that five years ago. Just like a lot of coaches and general managers, they are like a big reason. I, I say this all the time. Like Kyle Shanahan got hired real young. Same with Sean McVay. They had been in the league for over a decade. Kyle Shanahan had been calling plays for nine years. Nine years before the 49ers hired him. So while he was in his late 30s, he had been doing it for a long period of time. For example, Joe Judge, same deal. Gets hired, you know, in his mid to late 30s. He'd never called plays. He had only run the special teams. He had, had no, was an assistant wide receiver coach for one year and knew nothing about defense. Kind of not shocking that he was over his head. I don't think we value enough in these interviews. Like, what is your experience? How long have you been in the NFL? One of my issues with Brandon Staley, beside him just talking a bunch of madness, making no sense with a lot of his press conferences, uh, and just knowing exactly what the media wants to hear, is he wasn't in the NFL very long. If he had been in the NFL for 15 years, even if he'd only been for a coordinator for one, I'd be like, you know what? He'd been around a lot of people. He had worked at John Carroll before he ever came to the league. So he had been here for such a short period of time. You know, that's just by the time Belichick got hired to be a head coach in whatever, 1991, his first year in the NFL was 1975. So Belichick had been in the league for like 16, 17 years on top of obviously being a coordinator for a very, very successful team. Like, I watch Adam Peters. Now, I've known Adam since I was a GA at Fresno State. But I go, if I was a GM, look, or if I was an owner looking for a GM, I'd go, well, let's look at Adam Peters' resume. He's been in the league for 18 years. Has he worked for successful places? Well, he got hired by the New England Patriots out of, the UC, out of UCLA, where he played. What happened? Was a part of multiple Super Bowl champions, you know, worked in-house, worked in the college realm. Then John Elway started running the Broncos. He hired Adam Peters. He helped him be a part of multiple teams that went to Super Bowls. Then what happened? John Elway, Kyle Shanahan takes over. Oh, John Elway, Hall of Famer, now turned out to be a pretty good personnel guy, hires Adam Peters. Now Adam Peters went to a Super Bowl with three different teams. Three different teams. He's seen what, you know, championships and building a championship culture looks like. And, and I don't think we value that stuff enough. It's like, oh, this guy's the hot name. It's because these agents are funneling these reporters, these names. No one has any clue. Like, do, does anyone really know what Kellen Moore does every day? And I'm, I'm not the, a Kellen Moore hater, but I think everyone just, you know, th- you get this hype train. And once the hype train starts, there's no slowing it down. Even though we don't truly know if these guys are good or bad. What are they like every day? What is their true experience? How long have they been in the league? You do know how long they've been in the league. But sometimes these these names just catch on a life of their own and you get these guys that have no business being in position. And obviously interviewing matters, right? I'm sure some people listening interview really well. Some people listening interview very, very poorly. And if you interview, one thing I heard about Joe Judge, he went to that interview and he crushed it. Even though when you looked at his resume, it's like, well, you're hiring this guy to be your head coach. And some guys are going to interview very poorly. I, Bruce Arian said for years, like he wasn't a great interviewer. Because he was very blunt. He didn't want to play politics. He just told you, this this sucks, this sucks, you need to upgrade here. And a lot of a lot of owners and general managers don't want to hear that. And so it's like, what are we really looking for? And I think the reason most of these teams don't even know what they're looking for in a general manager, in a head coach, at least with a head, you know, hiring a coach, you know somewhat, like if they've coordinated, what success they've had. With, with general managers, you have absolutely... I remember when I got fired in the NFL, I'm like, I've been writing up players for the last three, four years. Who outside of my own building has any clue if I know what I'm talking about? I'm not a public figure. My the, my reports are not public. I remember it was kind of scary. I'm like, no, no one even knows if I'm good, bad. I could be the best or worst scout ever. And no one knows. Where at least if you're a coach... And, and you know, scouts don't make as much money as coaches. So it's like, I don't even have any money. And then no one knows if I if I know what I'm doing. And I, I think you see all these guys interviewing in these GM jobs and you go, do you have any clue if this guy can evaluate? And here's the other thing. There are going to be elements of the guy's job that it's like life. Like anytime you upgrade a position, there are going to be things you're not ready for and you have to grow on the job. Uh, I, I saw, I read this thing on CNBC. They tweeted it out like Jeff Bezos, the two questions he asked when he was interviewing people like 20 years ago, like building this company. And I think one of the questions was just like, what are your career ambitions? And the other one was, obviously, they were based in Seattle, Washington. 
His question was, how many bottles of water do you think there are in the greater Seattle area? And it's just a crazy curveball question, but he doesn't, no one knows the answer. He just wants to see your mindset, how you problem solve, and kind of how you take a curveball question and just attack it. And you write it up on the whiteboard, kind of your thinking. And there, to me, are elements of like, you want to ask some of these guys, what's the craziest thing they've been through? But a lot of times, if you're an assistant GM or a college scouting director, you know, like when a guy on your team gets a DUI or something bad happens in the organization, you don't really do much. Like it's on the head coach and the general manager. So there is no getting ready for those situations. You just kind of got to hope that the more experience a guy has, the more confident he can be in those spots. And I, I think that definitely carries over for coaches as well. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. Attention all wrestling aficionados. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. This is Freddie Prince Jr., and I am beyond thrilled to announce that our wrestling extravaganza is back, and joining me once again is the one and only Jeff Dye. Get ready as we highlight the most jaw-dropping matches, dissect the fiercest feuds, and uncover the latest twists and turns in the world of pro wrestling. We're dusting off our legendary side quests and unleashing a barrage of brand new segments that will keep you guys on the edge of your seat like our talks on unsanctioned Thursdays. Freddie, you know we gotta give the people what they want. This season, we have an all-star lineup of special guests who are gonna be gracing our podcast, bringing with them their own unique insights, experiences, and all of that in the world of pro wrestling and beyond. Whether you're a seasoned wrestling veteran or a fresh-faced newcomer, we promise an experience like no other. So buckle up, wrestling fans. Listen to Wrestling with Freddie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape, you can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, at the very least, as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media, as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slammed up as well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James! LeBron James! And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, let's uh, dive into the Middlecoff mailbag. Uh, Let's look into what is going on up in these uh, DMs. Hey, John, I'm a big LSU fan and now a big Bengals fan. Watching the end of the Bengals-Raider game, I noticed something that made me a little confused. Up seven, the Bengals had a fourth and one inside the 15-yard line and tried to get the Raiders to jump off sides. And when Joe saw they weren't going to do it, 
they called the timeout. It ended up not mattering, and they kicked the field goal to go up 10. But why would they waste a timeout when the field goal would be virtually the same if they would have just taken the five-yard delay of game penalty? I feel the same way when teams waste timeouts in the first or second downs. Your thoughts? It's a good question. I I don't know the exact scenario thinking off the top of my head, uh, but I, I mean, I, I mean, in that game, I know the scenario that happens. It's an easy one with punts, right? A lot of times you do it at like the 50-yard line. You take the delay of game. You, you have no problem taking the delay of game with punting. I think with field goals, I'm with you. If it's, like you said, the 15-yard line, you know, what, you know, 15 is 10, so that's 25. You're talking 32 or 37-yard field goal. It's not that big a deal. It's, it's a waste of a timeout. Now, did that happen in the second half? I've watched so much football since that game, I, I kind of forget. But I'm with you. If it's at like the 10-yard line, I would take the delay a game in the second half. If it's the first half, I understand. But coaches are just, they're kind of stuck in their ways on that one. And they love calling that timeout for the field goal. Uh, Matt, I don't know how you can hate on Kirk Cousins. You praise Herbert for throwing all these touchdowns and being the bright spot on the Chargers. But did you know that Kirk Cousins has thrown nearly 70 touchdown passes the last two seasons? I believe he's the biggest asset to the Vikings. I do not hate Kirk Cousins. I actually think Kirk Cousins is solid. Now, do I love Kirk Cousins at $35 million a year? I do not. Or 30 or whatever the hell he's making. He makes a little too much money. Do I think he's a solid NFL player? Yes. Do I think he's somewhere between like 9 and 15 and you can win games with him? As you've seen, the Vikings have gone to the playoffs with him. I do. But he's paid like a top-end guy. Would anyone, obviously Justin Herbert is a better player and makes dramatically less money. But at the same dollar figure, whether it was $5 million or $35 million, you would rather have Justin Herbert. Is he one of the best assets on the team? I I think that's debatable. I think your best asset is Justin Jefferson. Uh, But is Cousins an asset? Could you trade him? Uh, Maybe, but what could you get for him? And then who would play quarterback for you? So I, I am not a Kirk Cousins hater, but I also am not like some you know, loyalist to him. I think he is properly rated. He's not as bad as people think, and when he's good, he's not as good as people think. Looks like the Vikings have requested to interview D'Amico for their head coach. Seems pretty quick after just one year as our DC. I talked about this earlier with, uh, you know, with guys being ready. I would say the one thing that's unique about D'Amico is I was with the Eagles when we traded for him. D'Amico was like a 12-year NFL vet. And he was immediately a team captain in the NFL. Like D'Amico is a high, high level guy. So when you played at a high level and you were the team captain slash defensive signal caller, like, you know, you're a little ahead of the game. Like guys like D'Amico Ryan and Mike Vrabel, you know what? They don't need to put in as much time coaching as some of these other guys that just are done playing. Like Sean McVay had to immediately go into coaching at 22 years old. Same with Kyle Shanahan. So their time they put in working their way up is D'Amico's equivalent when he was coaching. Now, he's only been a coordinator for one year, but D'Amico has been calling defenses for a decade, right, with the defensive coordinator and building the defensive game plans throughout the week with the staff. I think D'Amico's kind of unique. D'Amico's a high-level, high-level dude. The high-level dude. I I think D'Amico is legit. Now, you know, one-year coordinating... I'll tell you this. I'd rather have D'Amico as my head coach over Brandon Staley. I know that. Love the pod. No rain, no sleet, no snow, and no Omicron can stop it. Two short questions. That was funny. Do you think the ending of San Francisco at Dallas adds confusion to Jerry's decision heading into the offseason? The Cowboys get dominated, yet the Dallas narrative has turned into, if only the refs hadn't screwed us. Is that really a narrative going on? Like, the 49ers came up. The game started, and that first drive was basically like, hey, Dallas, we're here to beat the living shit out of you. And Mike McCarthy's like, yeah, no problem. My teams are usually pretty soft, and we're going to commit a bunch of penalties. The referees had not. Dak Prescott screwed up the end of the game. The referee has to spot the the ball. Did you see where they spotted the ball and where Dak slid? The Cowboys gave themselves like three or four extra yards. Like, you're not allowed to do that. The referees, they also overturned the first down that Debo was pretty damn close. The referees, that Dallas got worked. Dallas was a Jimmy Garoppolo interception away from a full-on old-school ass whooping. That was, hey, Mike McCarthy, Kyle Shanahan's kicking your ass up and down the field. 
In the same situation, if Dak runs up the middle and then laterals to a wide receiver who runs with it to the sideline and the ball goes out of bounds, the lateral wouldn't stop the clock, just stop, and there would be no need to rush to reset. Yeah, I mean, I, I to me, you cannot do what they did with 14 seconds. The rule is pretty clear. The going, you know, kind of rule that teams in high school, college, I guess college is a little different because if you get a first down, this clock stops. But in the pros, it's about 18 seconds. He did it with 14 seconds, and he took off like 17 yards. Like, bro, you don't have that much time. I I, I thought it was just kind of stupid on their part. Should have done it a couple plays before. Do you ever say constructive negative things about a player or team just to motivate them to be better? Right now, I'm particularly thinking about this Cowboy 49er game. Are you all the negative comments about Dallas will motivate them? I mean, I, I don't my comments don't matter to players or coaches. That's that's their own problem. Uh I don't know, man. I mean, you just you gotta play better. You gotta be smarter. I mean, if comments really motivate you, and listen, we all get motivated in different ways, but at the highest level of any profession, like ultimately the reason Brady kicks everyone's ass is not because of other people's comments. It's because because intrinsically he's motivated every single morning at five o'clock he's out of bed. Every single day when it's time to eat, he's eating healthy food. Like that is, he doesn't get that from newspaper, newspapers don't, I mean, blogs or, you know, podcasts. It, it burns deep inside. Like you either want to jump off sides or you don't want to jump off sides. Like, let's face it, Randy Gregory, I saw a good tweet. Like Randy Gregory was, you know, a pretty questionable human being, like back to his junior college days. He's not the most reliable guy. So when he's jumping off sides every other play in the game, like that's on Randy Gregory. Now he's very talented. He's a long, he can rush the passer and you know, everyone in football is like, that's what I want. He's six, four long ass arms. He can bend. He's explosive. Yeah. He jumps off sides every other fucking play. And when the games matter in January and the margins are small and you get 14 penalties, which I think I heard someone say was like second to being an all time record in the playoffs. Like, that's on Jerry, you know? You're going to have players like that. What's the comment? Stupid loses more games than smart wins. The Cowboys were just, they were reckless. They were dumb. There was a play when, like, CD wasn't set, and he just, like, whatever, tapped himself, went out the game. It's just, it felt very Mike McCarthy. It, It really did. I'm a new listener to the pod and a big fan. I'm also a big UVA fan, and I was wondering what your take is on this. With the arrival of highly touted offensive mind Tony Elliott, the longtime offensive coordinator for Clemson, a potentially new $65 million facility, ooh, money flowing in Virginia, and a young, talented receiving court, do you think University of Virginia has what it takes to contend for ACC championships, uh, or has the program hit its ceiling? Well, I do think Clemson's going to bounce back. I think Mario is going to recruit very good players. I think Florida State sucks. Uh, I think NC State's pretty solid. I think Pitt... And Narduzzi has done a good job, but they're losing an NFL quarterback. Like, I I think if this guy's good, and you never know. We see all the time coordinators go to become head coaches, and they they fail. But I would say this guy has coached with Dabo for a decade or whatever. Knows the landscape of the conference very, very well. Uh, I, I do think they recruit, you know, a little different guy probably than Clemson, right? Academics are big at Virginia. If you can win nine games and be competing to go to the ACC championship game every year, I think you're a star head coach of Virginia. But I'd be lying if I said I knew. I don't know much about Tony Elliott besides he's just been a star coordinator for Dabo. And people really like him. And he's turned down jobs like Venables for years. So I, I think I think I have a couple questions. And it's less about Virginia. It's more about like, is Clemson going to bounce back? And we saw they had a crappy year. They went 10 and 3. Is Miami going to be really relevant? Because I believe they are. Because Mario's going to get players in there. Now, is he a great coach? I don't know. But they're going to have a way more talent than they've had. Now, the rest of the ACC kind of sucks. So, as a diehard Giants fan, since I was first able to watch football, the last eight years have been terrible. I haven't been this down since Ray Hanley was the head coach. If I was the owner, I'd get an experienced younger GM and go throw all the money at Jim Harbaugh. What are your thoughts? I agree. To me, I, I don't think Jim Harbaugh would take the New York Giants job. It just, you know, if, to me, if he feels like he's coming back to the NFL, he's going to go to the Bears or the Raiders. And I specifically think the Raiders, I think he's going to be the Raiders next head coach. 
to me, who makes a lot of sense for the Giants, I'm with you. I would get a young, up-and-coming GM. Hire Brian Flores. Hire a guy that just knows how to be a head coach. McAdoo, over his head. Shermer, just awful. And Joe Judge just had no business being a head coach. To me, Brian Flores makes a lot of sense. When I close my eyes, I envision Brian Flores wearing the Giants gear. Tough guy. Kind of, even though he's young, like I said, he's kind of angry. He's kind of got Coughlin Parcells to him. Uh... I, I he's a, he's a, I think he's a New York guy. Um, I like Brian Flores a lot there. To me, that makes a lot of sense. Just listen to your Flores and Judge being angry and the shit was spot on. Funny as hell and true. They are mad because they have an iPhone 12 and not a 13 trying to copy Bill. And again, I, I hated comparing Flores to Judge. They have nothing in common in terms of one guy won on the one guy won 19 games. Judge. Judge's team was so gutless the last, especially this year. I mean, it was it was pretty embarrassing. But part of, like, in my job, let's face it, I'm a podcaster. I, I work in my home studio. I don't really have to get along with that many people. I mean, I deal with some producers, and I do get along because I'm a good guy. But, like, when you're a head coach, you are dealing with people on a daily basis. And Belichick and Saban, let's face it, everyone in the building can hate them. Nothing anyone can do. When you're Brian Flores... Like you do have to manage up and down a little bit. You, you, I don't. You don't need everyone to like you, but you do need to make an effort to get along with some people, and that is clearly something that these Belichick guys are just not great at. Like you can't just be asshole twenty four seven three sixty five, and the only guy you're potentially nice to is the owner. It's just not going to work. That that would be my advice, and maybe I'm off. Maybe Flores is getting a bad, raw deal, and he's a nice guy. <laughs> It's not quite the way it feels. Huge fan. Felt a little bit of a reach on your blind floors being such an angry guy point compared to other generations in the last pod. I've lived in the New York City area my whole life. Brownsville, where Flores is from, is one of the roughest and most dangerous neighborhoods in the Northeast. I don't know how his upbringing is otherwise, but it has a feeling. Here's the thing, though. Your upbringing is allowed to shape you, right? He's 40 years old. He's making six, seven million. He's the head coach of the Miami Dolphins and now potentially another team. Like, I'm sorry, what happened in like 1992 isn't truly that relevant on most things that he's going through every day. Again, like you're allowed. I I get angry. I I, I was raised, you know, I kind of come from an angry environment. I get it. Not like I didn't grow up in the hood or anything, but I'm just saying, you know, my dad lost his brother in Vietnam. There's just just some demons that you don't shake. And, you know, your kids kind of bear some of that, which is human nature. But, like, I don't get to use that excuse now at 37 years old. Like, there are excuses you get to make to a certain point in time. Once you hurt an age, like, again, you're allowed to have ornery days. You're allowed to be pissed off. But if you're angry 24-7 when you're making $7 million and you win a game, like, I'm sorry. It's just like, well, it's not that, especially you've worked in the league for two decades, You've been making big cash for a while. Your life isn't that bad. Now, you're just not allowed to be mad on a daily basis. I, I just, I adamantly believe that. And that will not change. Regardless whether you grew up in the country club or whether you grew up in the slums. Like once you've been living a good life for a while and your profession, but that's the thing, your profession, like you're the head coach. Everyone's looking at you. Like your energy matters. And I got news for you. Belichick and Saban aren't actually that angry all the time. And I'm not even saying Flores is. But you got to get along with people. And this goes back to Mangini, Josh McDaniels, Patricia. They all grew up differently, but they're all so fucking mean. It just, it it works if you're Belichick and you're going to give six rings over two decades. It does not work if you're winning four games a year. And I, I, Flores won some games. But clearly, the GM backstabbed him. And maybe the GM is just a bad guy who claims to be a good guy and just a backstabber, survivor, which in the NFL, there are a lot of those. Because Chris Greer, in what world, in any other profession, would that guy make $2 million? And that goes for most GMs. There aren't that many jobs, W-2 jobs, that pay $2, 3000000 million. What are you going to be, the CFO for fucking Wells Fargo? There's only one of those. There aren't that many jobs. But in the NFL, there are 32 GM jobs. And they pay a premium. Like, how many people do you know that aren't like famous that make seven figures, W-2. That's every GM does. So I, and obviously coaches make a lot more. So there is like, they're very territorial. I I hate that I, I'm not even trying to crush Flores. 
My point is that I, I do think he has to be careful of not just trying to copy Bill. And I, like I'm saying, I think Flores is in a completely different universe. Like Joe Judge never should have been a head coach. Clearly, Brian Flores can be a head coach. But for him to be really successful, I, I, I do think he has to attempt to just not copy Bill with in terms of just being angry. Because I think we have a lot of evidence now. Every single guy that leaves New England all kind of acts the same. And it wears people out. And let's face it, it has not worked. Mike Vrabel is the one guy, and let's face it, he did not coach there. He played there. And Mike Vrabel seems actually kind of fun. I don't want to hang out with Mike Vrabel. You're allowed to yell at people when they screw up. He does. No one says, like, I'm pro-yelling. I'm pro-screaming at people. That's called football coaching. But just every... And I, I don't. you don't need to be Pete Carroll or Andy Reid every day. But there, there has to be some happy medium of, this is 2022. The players, this is not, you know, Nitschke, Buttkiss, and Lawrence Taylor. The, the guy, humans are wired a little bit different. A big fan of the pod, dedicated listener from Canada. Just wondering if you think the NFL would ever bring a team to Toronto. That's a great question. And, you know, I, I can't really give you an educated answer. My gut would say no. My gut would say they're not expanding into Canada. If they expand into another continent, or excuse me, another country, uh, it would probably be the UK, would be my guess. But it's like, is the NFL in some big rush to really expand right now? I, I don't think so. And clearly the Bills aren't going anywhere. If the Colts move off Carson Wentz, what do you think is the most realistic option for them at quarterback? Draft class isn't that deep. They're not, Carson Wentz is your quarterback next year. Uh, unless, I, I think it would be. Something crazy would have to happen. Carson Wentz, just look at the look at the cap number, the dead cap. They just traded a first round pick for him. The Eagles get their first round pick. Carson Wentz is the starting quarterback for the Indianapolis Colts, like it or not. Obviously, if you're a fan, you don't love it, but he's your quarterback next year. Now, next year might be his last year, but Carson Wentz, if he's healthy, week one is going to be the starting quarterback 2022 for the Indianapolis Colts. That's what happens when you tra- trade a first round pick for a guy. You know, it sucks when he doesn't. He's not good enough, but that's just, that's the, you know, the hand they played. And it was, you know, it was really their only option. They didn't have any other options. I, I can't shit on them for that. I, I can't. But he, he's going to be their quarterback next year. Appreciate everyone listening. Give me some Middlecoff mailbag questions at John Middlecoff. Fire in those DMs and uh, talk to you guys later this week. Peace. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. It's Freddie Prinze Jr. and Jeff Dye back in the ring. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. Hey, Jeff, are you ready to rumble our way into an all-new season of Wrestling with Freddie? You better believe I have. I've been practicing my body slams, and I'm jacked. All right, don't go injuring yourself now. We'll be highlighting the best stories and matches of the week in wrestling from AEW, WWE, and have one-on-one talks with the best talents in the world of pro wrestling. Listen to Wrestling with Freddie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.